0: means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Welcome to another edition of the 5 Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by ethan skolnick thank you for finding us do subscribe to the program on apple podcasts google play spotify or wherever you get your podcasts we're joined today by a local radio personality who just got a new show it is the dono and frito show you can hear it on 560 wqam from 10 a.m until 2 p.m every single day and alex dono is with us dono appreciate the time
2: hey i appreciate you guys chris and ethan and and thanks for the plug as well man i can't thank you enough and I really appreciate what you guys are doing at five reasons you're kicking ass. So keep up the good work
1: so we have a lot to get to today with you Dono uh, wanted to kind of go through all the major South Florida sports stories and then at the end we'll close with I know a subject that is uh, dear to your heart and actually uh, the subject of our newest podcast out for the count uh, which is the flight game uh, both boxing and MMA so we'll get to that to close the program but want to start uh, with the Dolphins as their coaching search continues um, what did you make of kind of I don't know how I don't know when you got back from vacation or wh- how you experienced the full timeline of everything but where are you- you at right now with the fact that the Dolphins are in the middle of a coaching search where it doesn't seem like there are that many impressive candidates on the table but I think the, the end of the Adam Gase era was a logical conclusion what have you kind of made of it all
2: you know uh, one of my first takeaways that I guess it surprised me just to hear the way Stephen Ross talked about it you know that presser that they had it was last Monday after Gase had been fired and you know, he was asked a point blank question in the media session. Well, why did you part ways with Adam Gase? And the way he answered the question was, well, you know, Gase wants to win now. He's heading into his fourth year. He wants to win now. And I'm not stupid. I'm sure there's more to that. We've heard stories about a fractured locker room. Fans have taken issue with the way Gase is called plays. I'm sure there are other things with Gase's philosophy that were rubbing Stephen Ross the wrong way. But when he talked about the idea that, well, Gase wants to win now in his fourth year, made it pretty clear that the Dolphins, in the way that they're now going to change philosophy, maybe winning next year and even the year after is not their priority when they're trying to blow this thing up and rebuild it from the ground up, right? And I think for that reason, it's why you're not seeing names like Bruce Arians, or you're not seeing, you know, it it, it had been thrown out there by certain people, but not a whole lot of progress was made with the idea of bringing John Harbaugh to Miami. Why you're seeing names of coaches who are coordinators or position coaches. You're seeing Darren Rizzi, who's the current with the Dolphins, the special teams coordinator thrown out there. You're not seeing these impressive names with a lot of head coaching experience because I, I think Stephen Ross is, is going through a process right now where you know, the next head coach of the Miami Dolphins is going to be someone who's got to grow with the roster as they rebuild it. And I also kind of wonder, you know, something that you know I brought up on our show yesterday, if you can really count on the next Dolphins head coach being the coach for many years to come, or if the next head coach that they hire is kind of the guy that they grow with that takes them from point A to point B, and then the hire after that is the guy who you expect to take you from point B to point C. So, yeah, the names out there are not that impressive, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I I almost feel like Darren Rizzi would be just as good as any of these other names, and I know it's not sexy for fans to think about, you know, the current special teams coordinator becoming the head coach, but I feel like you could do worse than Rizzi.
3: I've made that case before about Rizzi, and that's why I felt from the beginning he should be a candidate. I don't know if he should be the choice. We'll have to see you know, how he presents himself to Ross. But uh, the biggest thing for me with any coach they hire is going to be putting together a better staff than Adam Gase did because uh, our our Chris Kaufman has pointed this out before that Adam Gase just basically hired his friends. Um, and, and we see that with a lot of head coaches. And with the first-year head coach, like you can't do that. Um, and so – That's another concern I would have about some of the guys that they're interviewing. For instance, you know, I've become a big Chris Richard guy just like looking at videos of him doing interviews. Like he has a presence about him that recent Dolphin head coaches, whether it was Joe Philbin picking up papers on the turf or whether it was, you know, Cam Cameron, you know, put your thumbs this way, or Dave wants Know what I mean? Or, you know, some of the other coaches that they've had and then Adam Gase, you know, with his hat covering his eyes, you can't even, you know, you don't even know what he's thinking. Uh, You know, Chris Richard, you know, has a presence. You see him do an interview and you can tell that he commands a room and it's been a long time since the Dolphins have had any, a coach, anything like that. In fact, I would argue, you know, Tony Sperano had it for a little bit, Saban obviously had it when he first came in, you know, and then Jimmy had it when he first came in too. But most of the coaches they've had have not had that. But my concern about Chris Richard and, you know, Brian Flores to to an even greater degree is what my friend who is around the Cowboys quite a bit mentioned to me, which he's like, I really like Chris Richard. He's the type of guy who, you know, the players respect. He's he's hard on them, but they respect him. They don't tune him out. He's like, I just don't know what kind of staff he could put together. And, and I just hope that Ross is asking that question because sometimes we focus too much on the head coach and not enough on the coordinators. And look at the teams that are in the playoffs right now and still competing – and they have high-level coordinators, all of them, right? I mean, guys who've been head coaches are coordinators of these teams, whether it was a, a Gus Bradley or a Romeo Cornell or others. Maybe they were failed head coaches, but they were still head coaches, so they've been regarded as that at one point. And I just think that's an important question, that Ross needs to ask all of these guys before they make a decision. Who's your OC? Who's your defensive coordinator? Do you trust them to call the plays? Do you trust them to, you know, to put their position coaches in the right spot uh, in terms of how they deal with the players? I, I just, I don't know if Ross is savvy enough as a, as an owner to do that, but I think that's what he needs to do.
2: That's a great point, Ethan, and it's something that you have a much higher probability of running into that problem when you're talking about hiring a head coach who's never been a head coach before. And the last time that the Dolphins hired a head coach with NFL head coaching experience was Dave Wanstead. So it's been a long time since you put yourself in that position, I think I, I would just worry about the unknown of any of these candidates with no head coaching experience in the NFL and what kind of a, what kind of a staff they could put together, like seeing today, you know, uh, Arians going to Tampa Bay and bringing Todd Bowles as his defensive coordinator, you look and you say, man, that's a staff coming together. Uh, You know, I I wonder, um, like with with Steven Ross, you know, he, he heard the cries from the fans. You know, obviously he's aware that his customers have not been happy with the product. I always say this when you're firing a head coach, I'd like to think you have a good idea who the next guy is. Like when you fire a head coach, at least have an idea, can we do better? than we're doing right now. And I know that no Dolphin fan wants to hear it phrased this way, but I don't think there's really any guarantee that you're going to do better than Adam Gase. It's like they were, they were in a rush to make a change. They knew that they had to get that guy out of there, but I don't know if Dolphins, Brass and Chris Breer, you can include him as well. He's now the decision maker as the the, the president of football ops. You know, he now has those powers taken from Mike Tannenbaum. If they really had an idea, Once they fired Adam Gase, well, who's the next guy in? I don't think they had a clear plan for that.
3: I would dispute that a little bit, Alex, and here's why. They had a list the next day, right? Like, Gase was was fired, and already we were hearing those names. And so I tend to believe based on some of the other reporting that's come out, that Craig Mish reported that you know Ross had a confrontation with Gase after the Indianapolis game. I mean, that goes back a little ways. Uh, Gase started making these strange, strange comments like two, three weeks ago where he was blaming everybody but himself, the injuries, the hot road opponents, okay, and all the rest of the things that he had to deal with personally, all the players that were out. I, I sort of feel like what happened here was that Ross knew he was firing Gase for a while. It was not like right after the regular season. I think he knew for two or three weeks. And I think he tipped off Chris Greer because to have a list like that list came out immediately, Alex, like it was boom. Okay, Chris Richard uh, Fangio was on that list. Okay, they ended up backing off of that. But Brian Flores was a name we heard right away. So I tend to think that they did have a plan. I just don't think that this was a year with a lot of obvious head coaching candidates. And so, you know, the only one that came up was Harbaugh and he's under contract right now. So I, I tend to think it was more that than they didn't know. I think Chris Greer knew what was going on for at least two or three weeks that he was going to be the guy in charge. There's a great photo of him with Gase as Gase is talking and Greer looks like he's just looking up in space. And I, I just, <laughs> <to> <laughs> me that, that encapsulated the entire situation. Like, okay, this guy's gone. Why am I even listening to him? I know that's not what was going through his head, but it sort of made me laugh to think that's what was going through his head.
1: Now, for me, the thing that I kind of find most perplexing about it all is the thing that Donna mentioned, which is that the obvious upgrade isn't available. And I just kind of wonder in the modern era, now obviously... I think we've seen with really all these teams that are the top seeds, Belichick is a given, but McVeigh and he, I think the coach, you can say they have a pretty solid roster base and their, and their talent is really good in Los Angeles, but, Under Jeff Fisher, this looked like a team that was going nowhere, and the coaches kind of single-handedly changed the fortunes. Uh, Andy Reid in Kansas City has, you know, upgraded his quarterback situation with his own intuition into, you know, a quarterback that threw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. I think we can give a lot of the credit to the coach, but for me, as you mentioned, Ethan, that there weren't that many obvious guys out there that we feel like could do this. I just don't think that the Dolphins right now are really going to hire someone that the fan base is going to be that impressed with, that you really get the sense that could be, if you're saying that last year coaching was an issue and that they had the 31st ranked offense and that it was a poorly coached team, that there is a guy out there or someone who can assemble a staff that could really fix those issues with coaching. And that for me is kind of the thing that I'm constantly changing my mind about because while on one hand, I'm underwhelmed by all these guys. And I don't think that any of them could really be the one that changes things from a coaching point of view. I also kind of see in the areas in which overnight successes, successes have happened, that coaching has played, in my opinion, a pretty substantive role in it. So I, I just don't know whether the outcome of this is going to be, I'm feeling really good about the Dolphins next year.
2: Well, and, and something I think about is, yeah, you're right. Right now, I don't think the fan base reads over the list of candidates and they're, they're overwhelmed by excitement. I'm wondering if that changes, even if it's false excitement right after the hire is made. Like, I, I can't even remember the way that I felt on that roller coaster after Adam Gates was hired. I wasn't immediately excited by that. I, I was actually pushing for Hugh Jackson, which, you know, wouldn't have worked out Woo! in hindsight, probably not. Dono, t- t-
1: tell us who you want to hire, and we'll go the opposite direction. Pretty
2: much, yeah. No, but I, I was I was enamored by the name of Hugh Jackson three years ago, two years ago, I think it was, when, when Gase was hired. But when he was brought in, uh, I, I became a believer. I was a convert pretty quickly, getting to know him a little bit, hearing him speak more, getting idea an idea of his philosophy. So I, I just I, I think aloud. I wonder how the fan base will react to it. Uh, I think it's happened many times in South Florida sports. I I shudder to even mention the name Al Golden, but you remember the way that he won his opening press conference when when he arrived in Miami. Nobody was excited about hiring the Temple coach, nor should you have been, but he knocked it out of the park in his first media session. Uh, I wonder if, like Ethan mentioned, how, how charismatic Chris Richard can be. I wonder if you do hire a guy like that And if he can win over the fan base and win over the media pretty quickly, even if it's not a name that people are excited about beforehand. I
3: want to introduce you to one of the great sponsors of the five reasons sports network, and that is Brunt insurance, where you can find all of your protection under one roof. They offer home auto commercial and life insurance, and they're licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola all the way to the keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines. Ensure you're paying the lowest rate in your area. And I can speak to this personally because I sent Greg Brunt, all of my insurance policies that I had with other companies, he came back to me, he said, well, one of them you're doing OK. So just keep that one where it is. But I had one for a condo and I had one for my cars. And he said, in both cases, I could be doing better. He saved me seven hundred dollars, took one phone call, 15 minutes. I don't want to use 15 minutes because somebody else uses that. It took 14 minutes and he got all of that stuff taken care of uh, for me. So check out bruntinsurance.com that's bruntinsurance.com greg's also a proud sponsor of the homes for heroes program that means if you're a first responder teacher military or healthcare professional you'll get a special discount from bruntinsurance.com here's the phone number if you prefer to do that 954-589-22 04. And today's episode of the
1: Five Reasons Podcast is brought to you by Doral Toyota, which is one of our great partners and like us is pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models. Whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle, Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues. Also, if you mention five reasons when you call 305 680 1129 or come in the dealership, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Dural Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Dural Toyota, DuralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Dural Toyota. All right, let's move on to uh, another guy that I feel like could potentially, you know, or did win the press conference. and has the voice of the fan that I think the fan wants. That's Manny Diaz at the University of Miami. We'll talk some UM here. Um, what did you make of that whole day? I, I experienced it while at a Manchester United game, uh, so it was definitely bizarre for me. But just the idea that Mark Rick retires, which was shocking, and that within eight hours you had uh, – for me, I didn't think Manny Diaz was on the table. And and for him to, from eight hours to be, you know, Mark Rick retires, What? to wow Manny Diaz could get the job what to he's hired what and like it was just an insane day and I think Manny Diaz is now being treated as someone who could be the guy that sort of solves all of UM's issues Uh, it was reported the other day that he's going to be paid more than the the Notre Dame coach Brian Kelly which was shocking to me and so he's being treated as a high-level candidate and I think the fan base I'll say this from a personal point of view I was a UM season ticket holder last year and I was kind of considering not renewing and the higher made me decide to renew so uh, do you think that the optimism surrounding Manny Diaz is founded
2: Uh, I think it's founded because fans have evidence for the last three years about how well he can handle one side of the football right I mean we, we all know that he doesn't have the head coaching experience but you know when you look at the the two well I mean three if you include special teams but the two units offensive and defense for Miami football you know for the last three years especially last year one side was holding its weight and probably overperforming, and the other side was continually letting fans down, and, and the defense was carrying that weight. Diaz is a guy who understands Miami. grew up here as the son of a former mayor. loved Miami football as a kid. talked about being nine years old when he watched, you know, the first Canes uh, National Championship, the victory over Nebraska back in 1983, and you know, dreaming since that day about becoming a Hurricane head coach. Fans love that kind of a story, right? Like fans always love to think, okay, we've got a Miami guy. We've got a guy who loves, has passion for this program, a guy who bleeds Orange and Green, a guy who really wants to be here. It's easy to fall in love with Manny Diaz for all those reasons. I'll, I'll go back to you know, what you were asking about with, with the night that this all went down. It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I, I had heard some, some rumblings about you know the conversation that Blake James had, with, uh, had had with Mark Rick the day before he retired, you know, that Blake James laid it out, which he's later detailed in the Miami Herald. That Blake James told Margaret, hey, you know, these are the changes we think we should make, and, and maybe you should think about stepping back and play calling. and need to, you know, to make uh, some serious changes on the offensive staff. And, you know, I, I'd heard that there was a lot of reluctance for Rick to accept that, but he, he did resign himself to it. And then the next day, I guess he just decided, I don't want to do this anymore. But to find out that Rick, was retiring to get that news on. I think it was a Sunday morning. The same way everyone else got it. Like you, like, I was thinking, man, Manny Diaz would be perfect for this. If only this had happened 17 days ago. Like if only Rick had made up his mind 17 days ago. If that Diaz is probably locked in with Temple, then I'm thinking for several hours. Well, you got to find a way to get Mario Cristobal. But then you find out his buyout with Oregon is 10 million dollars. That didn't seem attainable. I, I honestly. For a few hours there, I didn't know what direction you could go in. But then, I don't know, I guess looking back on it, I kind of wonder why I even thought for a few hours that that Diaz was not attainable. If you think about it from his perspective, yeah, you've only been at Temple for 17 days. You haven't really gotten started there. The ink is barely drying on your contract, but you can't let an opportunity like that pass you by. And even Temple has got to understand, like this is a terrible, terrible situation for us to be in. Yeah, the Temple athletic director knew it the day that they signed up Manny Diaz, but yeah, there may come a time, they didn't expect it to be two and a half weeks later, but there may come a time when the Miami head coaching job is open and we're probably going to lose this guy to the Miami head coaching job. So even Temple apparently didn't offer much resistance. It was, it was a different kind of adventure. Like I, I can remember after I think it was after Randy Shannon was fired and you had for, for like 24 hours, there was a, a bad report or an errant report that John Gruden was coming to Miami. It ended up being Al Golden. And then after, Mark Rick was gone, or after or after Al Golden was gone. You didn't know if you were chasing Mark Rick or Mario Cristobal or Chris Davis. This was such a different situation coming up as a Miami fan. All the all the coaching parasols you've had. Really told only for that job only to be open for a matter of hours before a guy who makes much sense like Diaz comes back. I would imagine you're not the only story about season ticket holders recommitting after finding out this guy comes in. He's got the respect of his players, which is important. He's already you know, maybe put out some fires in defensive recruiting. I think Diaz is ready for this. You know, there's no way to know it for sure until he's a year or two into this, but I I really think Diaz, he's got, to me, he's got the, the leadership skills necessary to do this job. I think he's already showing you some evidence that he can put a staff together. I think Diaz seems like the right guy for this job and I I couldn't be happier with the way it turned out.
3: Yeah, look, I I was in favor of it, obviously, and, uh, you know, I mean, I I have a lot of regard for what Manny Diaz did the past couple of years. I mean, look, Mark Rick's unit was not good. (laughs) The one that he was in charge of, the one that he put his son in charge of, I mean, the worst position group on the team was the one he put his son in charge of handling uh, where three of the four quarterbacks got suspended and the other one he kept throwing out there because he didn't have another option and, and was waiting for Malik Rozier to, I don't know, some light bulb to go on where he was suddenly going to be an elite division one quarterback, which was just never going to be the case. So uh, look, I was in favor of Rick coming too, and that's the only thing I would caution here. You mentioned Al Golden won his press conference. You mentioned Randy Shannon also. Uh, there was a lot of belief in Randy Shannon when he got the job for some of the same reasons that there's belief in Manny Diaz. He's a cane. He's local. He's, you know, he's a great local story, right? Like that was the whole thing with Randy Shannon. And he wasn't the communicator than Manny Diaz is. I think that's something that Randy struggled with at times, but that just didn't end up working out very well, right? Like, I mean, they had the big recruiting class at Northwestern and most of those guys didn't pan out. And, and you know, the, the Randy Shannon era is not remembered as one that restored the Canes to anything close to glory. So I think sometimes we get caught up in the label of it has to be this kind of guy or it has to be from this program. Or, it has to be on this side of the ball. No, the guy has to be able to coach. Like he has to be able to coach, yeah. he has to be able to recruit. I believe Manny Diaz can do that based on what I've seen so far. But I also watched a national championship game last night. And I watched an Alabama team. Let's not even focus on Clemson. I watched an Alabama team that has unbelievably elite talent at all positions, a lot of which is from here, right? I mean, I I still believe that the whole Nick Saban experience from 2005 to 2006 was basically one long recruiting trip for him. It, was him it was it was him Him getting to know South Florida as soon as he left he had a billboard on 995 okay like to, to come to Bama so I, I still believe that to a certain degree that was always in the back of his mind he went back to college what's the worst case scenario I don't know that he knew he's going to go to Alabama but if he went back to college okay I'm going to learn about South Florida and even though my wife hates it I'm going to at least uh, know where all the high schools are and and I think that played into it but I'm watching an Alabama team that was considered to be early this season an all-time great team like that's what we were talking about it's unfair right we kept saying it's unfair that Alabama finally has a quarterback I think Chris you said that on this podcast actually yeah right okay and that team that team forget Clemson that team last night okay was 28 points behind Clemson that team has elite talent at all positions now consider how far away Miami is. Right. Okay. In, in 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 the same conference as Clemson. In the same conference. So a year ago, when Chris and I started this podcast last January, I think actually next week is the one-year anniversary. When we started this podcast last January. We were talking about how close is Miami to Clemson. That was the topic. How close is Miami to Clemson? How close do they look now? Three years, four years, five years, never? Like I so I, I do think that Canes fans need to look, I got carried away too with the 10 and 0 start, but we need to cycle back the expectations here. Like, you're not in the same stratosphere as Clemson. Let's get in the same stratosphere as Florida first. Okay. Let's get in the same stratosphere yep. as, dare there, there I say it, UCF first. Okay. Before we start to have a conversation, let's get in the same stratosphere as Pitt. OK,
1: Before <laughs> no, 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 we, well, hang on, hang on. They they beat Pitt in the final game of the regular season. OK, beat, uh, all right. OK,
3: uh, all right. But Pitt also went to the ACC title. But anyway, yeah, OK, let, let, let's let's get OK, B.C. All right. Can we do, Fair can enough. We do, Fair we do, enough. We BC? OK, let let's get in there before we start to have a conversation about how close we are to Clemson, because Alabama wasn't close to Clemson last year. It
1: looks acres away and it's hugely concerning going forward. To me, the thing that that, that I find interesting about this is, number one, I think, You can only really solve those issues, uh, that gap, with two things, recruiting and staff. Uh, Because one of the things that Dabo has done really well is recruit staff to Clemson, uh, getting assistants in that have gone on to become head coaches, and then keeping a guy like Brett Venables there for, you know, it feels like three years too long. Like, how is that guy still a defensive coordinator when he was the, you know, he's been the only guy that's figured out uh, Tua, you know, since he's been the quarterback at Alabama, Uh, but the other thing, too, is, is the recruiting aspect, and I think that's something... I'll be curious how Manny Diaz does on the recruiting trail. He seems like someone who would absolutely kill it on the recruiting trail and, and do a great job of kind of building the program that way, but uh, obviously those things remain to be seen. To me, the thing that I find most interesting about the Manny Diaz hire, is, and, and, and you mentioned Dono as it related to the Dolphins, what Steven Ross said. I find more interesting Manny Diaz's actions, that he has taken over and said, you know what, uh, Mark Richt was going to promote or uh, two assistants to be co-coordinators, and that was going to be okay. These are guys that Manny Diaz has worked with, presumably that come with his stamp of approval, and he said, no, those two aren't good enough. We 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 got to find someone else, and just brought in the guy from Louisiana Tech. He fired the entire offensive staff, I, find, I found curious uh, with the Cleveland Browns, uh, they promoted their, you know, one of their assistants to be offensive coordinator, and all of a sudden they're running this entirely new offense that's way better than the offense that was already there, and my, my thought the whole time was, well, did, you know, did, did that offensive coordinator, was he like laughing out loud at what Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson were doing, and you wonder if Manny Diaz in practice every day was looking at the unit on the other side of the field and was going, this is a joke. Like like this offense is a joke and if I ever got in charge I would fire all of these people and clearly he thought that because he did it. And so I
0: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues and other personal needs so your plan works for you.
1: I just find fascinating that the entire time Manny, Manny Diaz has been watching this program and has been seeing the things wrong with it and has wanted to change it, and then when given the opportunity, went and did it.
2: And it's also to me, it, it just it outlines the idea that I'm I'm coming more and more to grips with as as the days and the weeks go by since Rick retired. That Mark Rick just was he he was half retired already. Like, and I still I really respect him for his body of work as a, as a head coach and a coordinator back in the day. And I still believe he made Miami football better than when he found it with you know, getting a team to an Orange Bowl, getting college game day there, that Notre Dame game was fantastic, what he did for fundraising and facilities. Again, I'm not, I don't want to turn this into a Rick Mark Rick session because I think he did do a lot of good for his alma mater. But when it comes to hiring and maintaining a staff and, and making changes where necessary, I think Mark Rick had checked out of a lot of that stuff mentally, just didn't have, didn't have the energy to make changes like what Manny Diaz is doing right now, where I think when Rick took that job at Miami, he probably thought, okay, I need to assemble a great staff once I get here. And certain elements of that staff were solid, especially Manny Diaz. I don't think Rick expected that two years into it, he would have to blow everything up and start over again. I think he thought, you know what? I've got about a five or six year plan at Miami. I'm going to install a good staff, going to do some winning here, going to make this program a a 10-win-per-season team like Georgia was when I was there, and then I ride off to the sunset. I don't think he had any expectation that after taking a job in 2016, in 2018, he's under pressure from the trustees and the athletic director and the fans. If he even cares what the fans think, I don't know if he does, and that's fine if he doesn't. I don't think he would be under that pressure two years later to, to do what Diaz just did to fire his entire offensive staff. Boy, well, Manny Diaz, he's young, he's hungry, he's just starting out. And I think you're right, Chris. I think Diaz probably had been laughing at the other side of the football the last couple of years. And at least now Miami has a head coach that has the energy and the willingness to make necessary changes on his staff. But he's not going to say, you know what, maybe my son isn't doing a great job on the staff, but I'm not going to shake it up. Maybe my offensive coordinator's not carrying his weight. But he came up with me at Georgia. I'm a fan of his. I'm going to ride with him forever. At least Manny Diaz has the energy and the willingness to do things that are necessary.
3: I want to introduce you to one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Brunt Insurance, where you can find all of your protection under one roof. They offer home, auto, commercial, and life insurance, and they're licensed to ride insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola. All the way to the keys they've got multiple carriers for all the product lines ensure you're paying the lowest rate in your area and i can speak to this personally because i sent greg brunt all of my insurance policies that i had with other companies he came back to me said well one of them you're doing okay so just keep that one where it is but i had one for a condo and i had one for my cars and he said in both cases i could be doing better he saved me seven hundred dollars took one phone call 15 minutes. I don't want to use 15 minutes because somebody else uses that. It took 14 minutes and he got all of that stuff taken care of uh, for me. So check out bruntinsurance.com. That's bruntinsurance.com. Greg's also a proud sponsor of the Homes for Heroes program. That means if you're a first responder, teacher, military, or healthcare professional, you'll get a special discount from bruntinsurance.com. Here's the phone number if you prefer to do that, Two two.
1: And today's episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast is brought to you by Doral Toyota, which is one of our great partners, and like us, is pure South Florida. That's Dural Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models. Whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle, Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Dural difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues. Also, If you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129 or come in the dealership, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Doral Toyota. And and I wanted to touch on the national championship game from that perspective as well, the same one that you brought up, Ethan, which is, my God, how far away is Miami from being either of these two teams? But I, I think from an even broader perspective, I think what you saw in this playoff was not just Miami. I think every program can feel like they are so far away. Georgia is really the only one who I think was close, and by virtue of the fact that they lost twice, which, by the way, I agree with. If you lose twice, you don't get in the playoff. It's as simple as that. But that every program is so far away What do you guys think has changed about college football that has allowed this to happen? And do you think that Miami, unless, you know, they're getting suitcases filled with cash out and and, and figuring out this recruiting thing, like, I I just don't know how two programs in a sport that, while obviously coaching matters a ton and there are ways to generate advantages in, in a sport in which you don't pay the labor, how is it possible that a program or two programs can be this far away from everyone else?
3: Well, first, um, I'll let Alex jump in a second. I I think a lot of them do pay the labor. So I mean, yeah, you, you, you touched on it. I think some programs are just better at it. And, you know, so that plays out. I'm not necessarily accusing these two programs, but let 's just put it this way. It happens. We know it happens, and players talk about it uh, after the fact, as far as why it 's been these two particular programs, uh, I think what happens is in in this sport now, success begets success, right so you know when when you when you were ha- when you had it rolling at the University of miami, like it didn 't matter that you already had elite running backs, like more elite running backs wanted to come because they they saw that that last elite running back was on a path to you know being a first round pick and making millions of dollars and that's the same thing that's happening at Alabama and Clemson now is is we? I mean how many guys is Clemson going to have in the top three rounds of the draft this year right so there's another group of players that wants to be next it's not because necessarily I have friends who went to both places okay it's not because they're the two greatest campuses in the country to go to Clemson's a pretty good party school but you can get me to stay in Tuscaloosa very long okay so it's not that I mean, I mean Wisconsin typically gets named the Number one party school in the country right like and wisconsin can't draft athletes to save their lives apologies to chris chambers member of our network so uh, you know it's i i i I just i just think it's it's a fact of you know again success begets success when usc was going through a period of time prior to sanctions where they were getting elite athletes more elite athletes came and that's why we see this rush it's like how many elite backs has georgia had in the past few years right like that's just like what miami was and so there needs to be a change in the narrative at miami and i think that's why we got excited the season before this one we felt like there was a change in the narrative like notre dame was clearly overrated right but it felt good to beat them and it felt like you had the program on the right track and like we always say panthers game is in hand you know heat culture you know all the rest of those things you know you know Dolphins in the hunt. And, you know, the The canes are back. The tropes, yeah. yeah. The the tropes, the canes are back, right? And so that's what we felt. The canes are back. And the reason it felt good to have the canes back is because you felt like kids who didn't remember the good old days would now see a bunch of videos on YouTube and be like, oh, I want to be part of that. Um, The problem is it's been a damn long time. And also now we've lost momentum because of what happened this season. And so I don't know how you get back there. I think the only way... Uh, was to do what UM did which was to roll the dice on Diaz who did bring something in the turnover chain that young you know athletes would relate to would want to be part of and that's the swagger that people talk about. It's not about, you know, you know, some of the stuff that happened in the dorm room and all the rest of that. It's about, you know, sort of having this attitude that we're going to kick your ass. And Manny talked about that on the podcast he did with Josh Darrow before the season, which people really should listen to. It's a two-part pod. It's about Manny's journey and ESPN and everything else that he's done. But he talked about watching Miami defenses and them being fast and physical and wanting to hurt you. Okay. He talks about this on the podcast and that's Miami football, you know, like it or not, that's Miami football. And I, I think the only chance they have to get to an Alabama or Clemson level is that, is it going to happen? Probably not. Um, I think things have changed to, to enough of a degree that it's been so long that I don't know that you get there, but I think at least this was a good first step.
2: You know, I can add something to what Ethan was saying about success, breeding success. You know, it's often said like in, in recruiting, that, you know, many good players are going to, you know, one of the criteria where they pick a school is based on, okay, where can I play the most quickly? Who's got the biggest need at my position? That's true in a lot of cases, but a team like Alabama and a team like Clemson can be the exception to that rule. Uh, I've got a, a relative, my cousin's husband, who's a head high school football coach in Orlando, and he's told me stories about having coaching players over the years that, tell him they are dead set on going to Alabama. This is, you know, during the recent era, the Saban era. And he says, okay, you're a running back. Uh realistically, you go to Alabama. You're going to be fourth or fifth on the pecking order. You're not going to play. And and they'll tell him, I don't care. I want to go there. I want to be part of that. I want to win championships. You know, such and such friend of mine went there. So yeah, for for a lot of schools are not at the top of that pack. For a school like Miami you're going to lose out on some recruits if it's a position where you're already deep at. Guys are going to look to where they can play immediately. Sometimes you'll have guys who transfer who are already on your team if they don't feel they can play immediately. Uh, Alabama has had so much success in recent years. They have become the exception to that rule. There is just an embarrassment of riches there for Nick Saban because he has found a way to create you know, that culture of winning where you can be a cornerback a who's nowhere close to being anywhere near the top of the depth chart, or a running back when they're four or five deep at that position. Yet these kids still want to go and play for Alabama. They may end up transferring somewhere else in a couple of years, but they still want to be a part of that. And as, as far as how Miami can bridge the gap and get closer to that level, uh, I still, I, I want to see what comes out of these next couple of years because what started to change at Miami once they hired Mark Rick was, finally making a financial commitment. They paid over $4 million a year to Rick. They'd never paid anywhere close to that for a head coach before. I think with all of Al Golden's incentives, he was just over $2 million. That was not deserved money, but it was half of what they were paying Mark Rick when he was here. And they've actually reached a point where they are reportedly willing to shell out low seven figures for a coordinator, for an assistant coach. That was never in Miami's DNA before. I think you have to be willing to pay staff members and head coaches that sort of money to be successful they have been improving the facilities to a certain degree over the last couple of years so i want to see how that marinates because we knew that you know during the early 2000s when miami started to lose ground late in the cocker era and beyond you saw miami's facilities miami's infrastructure what they were paying their assistants who they were hiring that gap started to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It didn't matter so much in the 80s and 90s. It matters a lot in this day and age. If you're not paying coordinators seven figures, if you're not paying a head coach three, four, $5 million a year, you're probably not getting a head coach and coordinators who can compete. Miami is still very new into that philosophy. That was something that started for them in 2016. As even mentioned, last year was a step back. Last year is going to hurt some of their momentum, but I, I still want to see – You know, and a lot of this is on Manny Diaz to hire the right people. But I'm very curious. I think the next two or three years could really decide uh, the fate of Miami football for the next couple of decades. If these guys can't find a way to be competitive with the nation's elite now that they've entered an era where they are paying competitive wages and they're making their facilities competitive, if they can't become competitive doing the things they're doing right now, I don't know what the answer is. I, I really don't. So at least now Miami is financially putting themselves in a position to play with the big boys. Uh, I've got to hope that in two, three years, they're actually, they're actually fighting for playoff spots and getting in that college football playoff.
1: All right, Don, I want to move on to, uh, I want to go back to the NFL, actually, and uh, talk about the uh, the playoffs going on right now. Of course, it wouldn't involve the Dolphins, so we'll just kind of talk about it from a little bit of a broader view. I, I find fascinating right now that I just talk about college football, which for me has always sort of been... I don't want to say a sport of parity, because obviously the Blue Bloods do tend to win. At least you enter every year going, well, this number of teams can make the playoffs, this number of team can, make the, can win the championship, But uh, because of the randomness of it all. But I think in this playoff era, that randomness, as by, you know, as virtue of the fact that we just saw Clemson, Alabama for a third time, has kind of been reduced a little bit. And it, it's, been a, it's been a bit surprising that it went in that direction as opposed to the other direction. But in the NFL right now, there are eight teams left and i i i just I, the other day i was looking at the matchups and I don't think that there's a nailed on favorite that you know is going to advance. I think you look at Chiefs Colts, the Colts are playing really well. They had a really impressive performance in Houston. I wouldn't be that shocked if they went on the road and mucked up a game against Kansas City, or if Dallas did the same to the Rams, or if the Chargers... I think the Chargers might be better than New England, even on the road. Uh, they had a better record this year. I think the Chargers might be better. And then the Eagles, just by virtue of the magic that they've produced, obviously going to the Superdome is, dip- is difficult, but I wouldn't be that surprised if the Eagles went and won. Are you guys on my idea that the road teams like there isn't that obvious favor that you know is going to advance and really any of the teams that are left can go and win it all
2: yeah it's like for for so many of the recent years I would go into every playoff just kind of chalking up New England as a as an odds-on favorite they're going to run the table and for for many times they did some years they got to the Super Bowl and didn't win it or choke and this year like I'm not going to say that the New England dynasty is done but they certainly don't seem like Your daddy's an O-England Patriot. So you almost feel like the field is wide open. I see what Patrick Mahomes has been doing in Kansas City. But then you talk about their matchup with Indianapolis, who's playing very well. They've got more momentum having played last week. This is the sort of playoff where I just got to sit back and and kick my feet up. and, And obviously, I wish the Miami Dolphins could find a way to be part of this again someday. But I'm just enjoying every second of it. And I hadn't really thought about it until you brought it up. But I don't have in my mind any sort of a clear favorite where usually we head into the playoffs and I'm thinking about, okay, this is my Super Bowl matchup. This is my team winning it all. I've got a pretty I'm I'm wrong plenty of times, but I've got a clear idea in my head which direction I'm going in. This year, I've got no clue. It's absolute chaos, and I love it.
3: Yeah, no, I think this is a good place for the NFL, actually, because uh, you have the parity, and yet there's still the illusion of the Patriots, right? So you always want in a league a team that everybody loves to hate because that team is considered to be dominant. And the Patriots are considered to be dominant, but they're really not. I mean, they're they you know they don't have Josh Gordon right now. Uh, they let Brandon Cooks go before the season. Gronk is not what Gronk was. I mean, they they've I think they've upgraded at running back some this year, obviously with the Sonny Michelle pick. But their defense doesn't have the level of stardom that maybe it's had in years past. And yet, because Brady's still there, even though Brady is not what Brady was, it's like oh, you know, we still have a Yankees type team. I, I would have-
1: say, I would say actually more that it's the fact that they play in the AFC East. Like I think if if they played in the AFC West, they might not have made the playoffs.
3: No, they probably wouldn't have. I mean, if you look, I mean, look, this has been pathetic for 18 years, right? Like, I mean, I mean, you've had, you've had one team other than the Patriots win the division uh, in the past 18 years. I mean, that is, that's insanity. I mean, actually it's 19 now if you want to include it. So it's just, it's, it's been awful this division, but I do think that the casual fan guys, like the casual fan still thinks of the Patriots as the Patriots. The person who does not watch NFL football regularly doesn't even follow it on fantasy. They're like, Oh, it's Tom Brady. Like the other 52 guys don't even really matter. Right. It's like Randy Moss could still be playing for them. Uh, So I do think that it's, it's good that on one sense, again, you have a team that everybody loves to hate and then you have this sort of parody around it. A lot of those teams, I believe, are better than the Patriots, but there's maybe not the belief from the public that they are ultimately. Um, and I do think we, we do have a number of really good stories. The Nick Foles story is a really good story. Like, And now it's going to lead to what are they going to do after this year? Like, if I'm the Dolphins and I'm looking for a quarterback, one of those two guys isn't going to be there. And I think Foles is probably the guy who's not going to stay. Uh, the Rams are a really good story, as are the Chargers, even if Los Angeles doesn't really care about one of the two of them. Um, you know. And the Chiefs are a great story with Mahomes, as as Chris mentioned. So I I do think that the the league itself if you look at the ratings uh, remember about a year and a half ago where a certain president was talking about how the NFL was ratings were declining well they're not right i do they're recall, not. yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah we do i think we're going to drop this podcast right around the time he speaks tonight um but yeah i mean <laughs> but yeah i mean that was wasn't that the narrative right the NFL is declining even though NASCAR's ratings were declining even more NFL ratings have not only stabilized they've started to go back up again and I do think it's because the league is starting to develop some new personalities. There has, I, I, I don't know if this was done intentionally, But the rule changes, which made it easier for quarterbacks, have helped develop a new crop of quarterbacks, potential stars. Okay, Whether it's it was Wentz before he got hurt, but whether it's Goff or whether it's Mahomes and some of the other guys, luck coming back I think is a real positive. So the league, you may complain about the catch rule, you may complain about the head injuries, you may complain about the kneeling or whatever, uh, but I think the league's in a very, very good place right now. And I think if you look at potential Super Bowl matchups, there are four or five matchups that I think would be really, really compelling and not necessarily with the teams that you would otherwise expect. I I just think in terms of uh, matchups, in terms of personalities, in terms of new coaches on the scene, I I think this has been a good postseason for the NFL.
1: I agree, and I I find fascinating going forward. And to me, it's the thing that during the course of the year, you felt like there was this three-team echelon of the Rams – the Saints, and the Chiefs that were so far above everybody else, but they kind of spent the last month of the year exposing their flaws. So I, I, I just don't think that, you know, if the Cowboys with, you know, probably 60% of the fans in the stadium went on the road and beat the Rams, like I, I just don't I, – I wouldn't be that surprised by it. Uh, same with the Eagles and what they've done in New Orleans and, and then the Chiefs. I just think – I think the Colts might have a game plan to go and do it. Obviously, I think one or two, if not all of them, will win, but I, it just – there is that doubt for me that – when the Patriots are home with Marcus Mariota's Tennessee Titans last year, I just didn't feel. And I, I just love that going into uh, this ra- this round of the playoffs. I want to close with you, Dono, on a subject that is near and dear uh, to your heart. And I'll just kind of open the floor to you. Uh, it, actually, I, 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 I want to give you a, a prompt, right? So the idea of the big fight that captures everyone's attention, Uh, you know, GGG was in that area for a while, but it really only seems to be the Mayweather and the McGregor fights, and obviously when they fought each other, that really draw the big attention. What do you believe to be the next fight, either in boxing or MMA, that reaches the national sports stage and not just the fight crowd?
2: You know, I I think that that fight could involve Conor McGregor. And I think there's a number of different directions you could go in there. I I think you could either do something we've seen a couple times before, have a trilogy fight with Nate Diaz, who I think is, you know, obviously the, the fight with Floyd Mayweather, the crossover circus, was what, you know, really made Conor's fame take another step forward. But the rivalry that put Conor McGregor on the map, that made him mainstream, that kind of allowed him to parlay his fame, into a fight with Floyd Mayweather was, you know, the two fights that he had with Nate Diaz, the shocking loss, the first time they fought, uh, you know, the, the victory he got in the rematch. I think that a third fight between those two guys, which is something that, you know, Nate Diaz wants, but he believes he should be paid Conor McGregor type money for, which is one of the reasons why we haven't seen the trilogy fight happen at this point. I think that would be fantastic. You know, another fight that I kind of wonder if, people would appreciate this you know a lot of the new fans who have come aboard kind of with the conor mcgregor ronda rousey type of generation would feel the same way but i think for those who have, who have really been around for the last 10-15 years you'll really appreciate george st pierre who was kind of a, a pioneer to take the sport of mixed martial arts more mainstream uh, if a, a fight between conor mcgregor and george st pierre would be something that would that would kind of captivate the imaginations of uh, of, of the betting public and, and sort of the fan public. I think that's something that I've had my eye on for some time. I think that something that I really uh, I really don't want to see again would be the crossover. You know, when when McGregor fought Mayweather, I guess we're about a year and a half removed from that at this point. um, I kind of wondered if that would open the floodgates for more fights like that taking place. You had a lot of boxers calling out UFC fighters and vice versa after that fight happened. But it hasn't hasn't really materialized into an avalanche. I I was wondering if we would see that because to me, I didn't have a problem with doing that fight the one time. But I I think if nothing else, that kind of showed people how different those two sports are and that's not something you can bank on consistently that you know you do that fight more than once and people will realize well yeah there's really no chance a high level MMA guy can just go into a guy like Floyd Mayweather's ring and 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 think about defeating him and if you were to put Floyd Mayweather in the octagon with Conor McGregor it would not go very well for Floyd so I'm kind of happy we didn't open the floodgates with that yeah I think boxing wise you know, Triple G, the Canelo Triple G fights, uh, I really enjoyed those, and unfortunately, I think I think Triple G is probably on the downside while Canelo is is really hitting his prime. Uh, so I don't know. I'll be honest with you guys that over the last eight nine years, I I cooled down on boxing a little bit. I used to be hardcore as a hardcore boxing fan as there ever was, and some people may may kind of argue this, but I, I just think to me the gravitation toward the big money fight the fact that undercards just kept getting worse and worse and worse and that you really had the same two mainstream names promoted and no one else promoted the right way it started to give me a sour note on boxing and i kind of to to get a little philosophical here i feel like the same thing is happening with mixed martial arts because when i started to when i started to edge away from boxing a little bit and gravitate more towards being a hardcore you know, UFC type guy, and of course pride was around back then and, and strike force was fun for a while. I, I felt like, okay, you've got you've got more, more bigger names, you've got better undercards from top to bottom. If you tune into a UFC fight, you're not just watching a main event. You're watching four or five fights deep. And uh, you know, it's really more about the brand name UFC than it is about any individual fighter. Uh, I, I think UFC is becoming it's becoming a lot more like boxing in the sense that mcgregor's the cash cow you know now that john jones is back and and doing well they're going to promote him uh you know they'll bring back brock lesnar every couple of years for a big payday i I don't feel like you have the same sort of period that you had four or five years ago when you just knew you were tuning in to watch five six great fights now they do bank a lot on these main events and and it is about the money fight it is about putting the big names out there you know you can kind of set an entire year's budget based on two pay-per-views a year and to be honest with you guys, it's not something that I really like because he used to go through an entire year that'd be 12 really, really good UFC pay-per-views every year. They still put on 12 shows a year, 12 pay-per-views a year, but now you kind of count on on three or four of those being good. I To me, this is not really a golden era for combat sports.
1: Alex Dono, check him out on 560 WQIM from 10 until 2 every single day alongside Frito, the Dono and Frito show. And also uh, you're still doing fight night uh, every uh, once a week as well on WQAM uh, on the fight game as well. Check out our boxing and MMA podcast out for the count. We've uh, I think we've got about all the uh, the boxing and MMA related phrases in, in the names of podcasts. So Alex Dono, appreciate the time. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at Alex Dono. Thank you for doing it.
2: Oh, thank you so much, guys. It's a pleasure. And uh, I respect all the hard work you guys are doing here.